Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final full episode of We Effed Up. It's episode 50. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here on our very last attempt to bring to you in history all of the times in history where... Did I just repeat myself? Sure. Okay. We're Who cares? Here... It's the last episode. Everything goes out the window. We're here on our last attempt to bring to you all of the moments in history where we effed up. What are we talking about today, Cody? This this may well be the most important episode. So what have you deigned as the most important <laughs> F up in history? The malice at the palace. A fight during an NBA game. There, nothing else. Just Just the NBA thing. Yep. Okay. Cool. Good talk. Uh, yeah, th- this one's a little unique, listeners, and the mm. fact that I watched this happen live. Old. <laughs> Old person. You're right there behind me, dear. Yeah, well, five months isn't isn't anything to, uh, to sneeze at. Hmm. So, a little bit about the malice at the palace as it's come to be uh, known. Heading into the 2004-05 season. The Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons were the top contenders for the NBA championship. The Pacers and the Pistons. The, Pistons. Uh, the Pacers had compiled a 61-21 and record the previous season, losing to the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games. Mm. So they almost made it to the Finals. The Pistons had finished with a worse record at 55-28, and but overcame the Pacers to unexpectedly win the NBA championship, defeating... Defeating the Lakers in five games. That was very sweet for me to hear. It was very painful for me to say. Uh huh. So there's rivalry here already from the last season. So so oh, recent yeah. rivalry. Yes. Okay. Yeah. By the way, that 2004 NBA Finals questionable. Oh okay. Question, questionable referee. Oh okay. I mean, Don't listen to him, listeners. No, listen to me. Cody uh, just doesn't like that it Lakers team. Should have won. Uh huh. You had Kobe. You had Shaq. Had Gary Payton, your Carl Malone, that should have won. Damn that, it! That doesn't mean that they did, though. <sighs> well, they should have. Okay. Some funny business going on there. But anyway, the pressure. You was... mean funny business where their ball just couldn't make it into the hoop? That's weird. Wow, physics—they're tough. Funny business in terms of the referees not making the right calls. Oh, okay. So. Can you point out the specific instances if we were to watch a replay? I don't. Well, yeah. We, uh, maybe it could be a bonus episode <laughs> okay. that we can record at I, a later time. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure you can't do shit. So oh, I can. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll watch all five games. As bonus listeners, we'll we'll watch all five games. Commentary for each game. I'll point out every time where the refs missed to call it. You know, screwed the Lakers over. Uh huh. Anyway, but you won't call. You won't point out the ones that should have been called against the lakers i told you i'm willing to do that no you're not i am uh-huh anyway this episode the uh pressure was on both teams the pacers and the pistons the pistons to defend their title and prove that they weren't a one-off oddity and the pacers to win a championship for the first time in 30 years as well as win one for longtime guard reggie miller who at 39 years old was like uh, likely to retire at the end of the season okay who has the white jerseys pistons in that game Okay, so the Pistons have the white jerseys, yes. and the Pacers have the blue ones. Yes. Okay. Uh, Reggie Miller, one of the greatest three-point shooters in the history of the league. Uh, most of the three-point records that Steph Curry has broken used to belong to Reggie Miller. 
So He's the one with crazy hair? No. Oh. That's Ron Artest. No. The one with the big fro? Uh-huh. That's Ben Wallace. Got it. I'm going to point all these guys out to you. Nailed it. So the Pacers, besides Miller, were full of younger talent, such as Jamal Tinsley, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steven Jackson, as well as Mercurial forward Ron Artest. Mercurial? Yes. That's a $10 word. Yeah, he, he kind of had some issues uh, in, in the years leading up to this. Kind of like, kind of loose trigger uh-huh. type of person, so... Uh, the Pistons returned much of their championship roster, including Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Richard Hamilton, Tayshon Prince, and Chauncey Billups. In addition, the Pacers head coach, Rick Carlisle, had been unceremoniously fired by the Pistons prior to the 2003-2004 season and replaced with Larry Brown. Oh. So I'm going to point out, I'm going to show you some pictures of some of the people who are relevant here. Why is it not loading? That's weird. Okay, so there's Steven Jackson. Mm-hmm. That is Jermaine O'Neal. Okay. Number seven. Stephen Jackson, I think, is number one. Uh, That's Ben Wallace. Okay. Number three for the Pistons, and he has the big fro. Okay. And there's Ron Artest, number 23. Okay. So the two teams met on November 19th, 2004, at the Palace of Auburn Hills outside of Detroit. Just for listening, it's not an actual palace, it is a stadium. Oh, yeah, because I couldn't figure that out. Good one. At the time of the meeting, the Pacers were 6-2 and two, while the Pistons were 4-3, and three, so it's still very early in the season. Mm-hmm. The game was broadcast on ESPN with commentary by Mike Breen and Bill Walton. The contest was initially a defensive battle, which can help to heighten tensions because it's a much more physical game, a lot more you're all up in each other's face. Um, a lot more physical contact, a lot more fouling. So that, and that can kind of ratchet up tensions. Oh, yeah. So along with the previous pressure that I mentioned, now this is happening. But okay. By late in the game, the Pacers had pulled ahead, holding a 97-82 to lead with 45.9 seconds remaining in the game. Wow, that's not a lot of time. Not a lot of time. Yeah, it's pretty much in the bag for the Pacers. They're going to win. Um, so Which makes what happens here kind of unnecessary. Now, listeners, I <laughs> kind will... Kind of. <laughs> well, <laughs> listeners, I will... Uh, take this moment. What I want you to do right now is pause this episode. There's a YouTube link in the comments, or in the show notes, rather, that will direct you to a six-minute clip of what's about to happen. I would encourage you to take that time now to go watch that. It's going to be easier for you to visualize what I'm about to describe, uh, having seen it. Also, keep a note on the fellow in the uh, kind of bright blue shirt and a white ball cap. He shows up a couple times in there. So 45.9 seconds left. That's at this moment when uh, Ben Wallace is attempting a layup. Ron Artest fouls him by slapping him on the back of the head. Which is really unnecessary because, again, Pacers are up by 15 with 45 seconds left. The Pistons are in white. The Pacers are in blue. Yes. So Ron Artest is on the winning team. Yes. But he just is a, a dick. Okay, so he really didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do that. Okay, and that's why Wallace shoves him. Yeah, he shoves Artest like two hands to the face. Really hard, yeah. Yeah. And Ben Wallace is significantly bigger than Ron Artest. Like, Ben Wallace is a big center. Ron Artest is a small forward. Yeah. So, pretty big size differential. Yeah, and I will say, shortly after that, Wallace definitely backs off. Yes. 
Yes, he does. Like he, th- there's definitely a conscious effort there. He did the thing, and then he was like, "I messed up. I shouldn't have done that." Yeah. He backs off. Yeah. Uh, after Wallace shoved our test, both benches clear, mm-hmm. mostly to just separate the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the referees pause the game to confer about penalties and possible ejections. It's like, okay, this a flagrant foul, throw him out of the game. You know what? What you know? What do we do here? What what sort of fouls do we have to hand out here? Right. And while they did so, our test laid down on the scorer's table to kind of calm himself mentally. Because, like I said, he he had a reputation. He had, had some kind of mental troubles that he was working on mm-hmm. g- getting through. And he's spoken out in the years since about his mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just lays down on the scores, which is kind of weird. But it's like, hey, you know, just what do you got to do to calm down? Yeah. Fine, plus, plus he did. He also had a vested interest in staying in the game. To, to be part yeah. of the winning team, you know, and not getting it, bounced well, out, like, 45 seconds to go. Well, it, well it, not even that. It's more just, like, for that for that kind of flagrant of a foul, he could be suspended for the next game. Sure. So he's so. like, nothing. I will yes. divest myself from the situation, yep. and I will lay down. Because something to note, when a player is suspended, they lose what they would get paid for that game. Mm-hmm. So there's thousands of dollars on the line here. Right. If you, even if you're just suspended for one game. Yeah. So at this stage, the situation seemed to be calm down, calming down. Ben Wallace is still irate, like he threw a towel or something, but he was being calmed down by his teammates. Like, give, give, give a little bit of time, things would have just simmered Fizzled down. Up. Yeah. But then the team, well, the, it... the team's kind of jawing at one another, too. A little bit, but like, it's nothing. It's definitely breaking up at a yes. certain point yeah. where you can tell, like, people are still kind of shit talking each other, but like, other teammates are like, no, 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 separate, yeah. separate. Like, we're almost done. Like, just sit down. (laughs) It's at this point that a cup of Diet Coke is launched through the air and hits Ron Artest square in the chest. So, it's funny that you note specifically that it's Diet Coke. Well, uh, the the RFR upper specifically said it it wasn't beer, it was a Diet Coke. Oh. Although... Who knows? Yeah. Only... His jersey could tell the tale. <laughs> I wonder what happened to that jersey. I it's, it's somewhere. I wonder somebody bought it. It's in the same uh, warehouse <laughs> that the Ark of the Covenant is. <laughs> it's locked away. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, our test jumps up into the stands. It, it's like immediate, too. Yeah. It, it takes him like no time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like he hits him and then he like. He like rises up like freaking Frankenstein, like just <laughs> like his top half just like gets up. He looks over. There's yeah. He jumps into the stands, unintentionally trampling Pacers radio man Mark Boyle, who fell and suffered five fractured vertebra. Oh no! Our test target was Michael Ryan. Not even the guy <laughs> who our test believed threw the cup. In fact, it had been thrown by our effer upper John Green. That is the man, listeners, if you've watched the video, that's the man who's in the blue uh, blue shirt and white ball cap. And he ends up getting behind Ron yes. Artest. Like, yeah, and you can even see in the clip the Mike Michael Ryan, the guy in the black shirt who Ron Artest is going after. You even see he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. His laser, point, fo- his laser focus had yeah. found its target. <laughs> uh, at this point, Stephen Jackson followed Artest into the stands and punched another spectator who had thrown another drink at Artest. Yeah. Several Pacers players then went into the stands to stop Artest and Jackson, which only escalated the fracas. Oh, yeah. John Green, the original cup thrower, managed to punch Artest in the back of the head twice. Wow. Uh, and 
this part you kind of don't really get a good look at from the broadcast. Mm -hmm. But as the Pacers players were led out of the stands, two more spectators, A.J. Shackelford and Charlie Haddad, made their way down to the court and continued the fight. (laughs) With Artest punching Shackelford in the face. Wow. And Jermaine O'Neal punching Haddad before slipping uh, and falling down. There's drinks everywhere. Yeah. Fluids. Yeah, by this point, total pandemonium had taken over with spectators beginning to throw objects onto the court. So yeah. Neil, like, slipped on a, like, a beer or something and fell to the floor. Yeah. Um, the Auburn Hills Police Department had three officers stationed at the game, but the chaos just overwhelmed security. Yeah, I mean, three three uh, cops is, is in no way going to be enough for yeah that, that entire half of the stadium. And there's, uh, there's Green. Yeah. Kind of right beforehand. Uh, there's kind of an image of him, like what he looks like. So <laughs> I like that he's got a shit-eating grin. Yeah, and then that's a pretty good image of uh, yeah. him uh, kind of scuffling with our test, who is not even paying any attention to him. No. So uh, at this point, the referees call the game because I mean they realize there's no way we're going to be able to restore order. The pace is up by 15. There's 45 seconds left. We're just calling it. Mm-hmm. And the teams began making their way to their locker rooms. As the Pacers went into the tunnel to their locker room, spectators threw whatever they could at the players. Yeah, they they the um, announcer guys even say that they're like when they get when they have to go into the locker room, they're gonna have to go through yeah. that side's fan base, basically. Yeah, it, it's and it, it really is horrible to watch. Like yeah, it's like pretty ugly. Like holding up like like the team folders like the, and like stuff. playbooks, just like yeah, shield themselves. Especially like uh, when Ron Artest is led into the locker room, he's being ha- like restrained by three guys. Yeah, because he's still wanting to go out there and yeah, and and, and me- mess some stuff up. He tried to put the the monster back in the cage, and yeah. and then it didn't happen. Uh, the crowd was ordered to leave, and you can you can see like uh, Larry Brown, the Pacers coach, he's attempting to like kind of like you see him with a mic at one point trying mm-hmm. to talk some sense to the crowd. They're not listening to him, but then the PA guy comes on, and the PA guy's like. Please disperse. <laughs> like he's loud and like it's like okay, ooh, yep, okay, yeah, You're gonna get arrested. Yep, uh, nine people were injured, with two requiring hospitalization. That radio guy, uh, yeah. one of them. Jeez. In the locker room, O'Neill and Coach Carlisle almost got into a fight. Wow. As O'Neill was mad that Carlisle was trying to restrain players from helping our test in Jackson. Uh, there was a moment where this and it kind of gave uh, Stephen Jackson said this kind of gave a sense into Artest's mindset at the time. Artest asked him, "Jack, you think we're going to get in trouble?" And Jackson replied, "Are you serious, bro? Trouble? Ron will be lucky if we we'll, we still have a effing job." <laughs> wow. Which, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the police came into the locker room to make arrests. But the Pacers had quickly ushered their players onto the team bus and refused to take them off, and they just split them leave. Wow. Uh, Rick Can't Car- arrest me if I'm on the bus. I guess. Uh, Rick Carlisle said, quote, I felt like I was fighting for my life out there, end quote. Uh, and Chuck Person, one of the Pacers' assistants, uh, elaborated a little bit more, said he felt, quote, trapped in a gladiator-type scene where the fans were the lions and we were just trying to escape with our lives. That's how it felt. There was that there was no exit that you had to fight your way out, end quote. Yeah, being tra- so like being trapped in between people on the court and then like 
stadium seats behind you and tables and stuff. Yeah. I can imagine that that would feel very claustrophobic, especially because if you get pinned in between those, you're going to fall and and potentially get trampled. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's actually a pretty dangerous situation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is how people get killed, like a uh, like crushes. Oh and, yeah. Uh, like especially, it's, it seems I have a lot of soccer games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stampedes and crushes like that. Um. So so yeah, it, it, it's not a good situation. If you watch this video, you see, like you. There are some times when it's like, wow, this is actually dangerous. Yeah, like a and like a big like especially when it's like a big old scrum of people. Yeah, it's like a, just a giant mass of like writhing people. Yeah, you're in the middle of that. You're you're in a world of hurt. And the people who are crowded around their like the tunnel to get to the um, yeah to get to the locker rooms too. It's the same thing. Yeah, and especially like a lot of it's be like you know camera people or like just stadium people. Uh, Brown Larry Brown's son was a ball boy, mm-hmm. and one of the. Pistons players kind of went over to him just to like make sure you know nothing happened to him. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, very very dangerous situation all around. And I remember that night my stepdad and I just watching this on TV just unfold. We're we're both just sitting there just jaws agape, just like (laughs) what is happening right now? Yeah. Because it all happens very quickly. Yeah. Like you know the initial fouls, it's like okay, it's gonna go on, and then all of a sudden, just like oh oh my goodness, what is happening now? Yeah, um, and at that point, people want to see blood. It's like that it unlocks that like lizard brain part of yourself where you're like, yeah, you know, at first you're like, okay, everybody calm down, and then they're like, oh, there's gonna be a fight, and then everybody's just screaming and yelling yeah. and and just like, I just listened to an episode of a podcast the season they're doing was on a the, the like the uh, L.A. riots after Rodney King, mm-hmm. the, the whole Rodney King situation, and they talked to one of the guys who was like right in the middle of those riots and like they pulled like like a white guy out of a semi truck trailer or yeah. semi truck and just beat the crap out of him even though he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. He even said like, you know, I didn't go down there looking to start or anything, but it's just like you just get swept up in it that you just it just happens. Yeah. So yeah, it, this is definitely one of the situations where it's just ugly and just ugly all around. Yeah. Uh, the next day, NBA Commissioner David Stern, who had also watched everything happen live, uh, provisionally suspended Artest, Jackson, O'Neal, and Ben Wallace indefinitely, calling their actions, quote, shocking, repulsive, and inexcusable, what's, what's a provisional suspension? Uh, just like, like, you're suspended until we can really figure out what your exact punishment is going to be. Oh, just I like, see. Just... It's like putting him in jail ahead of their arraignment yeah yeah, sort of okay makes sense the following day on november 21st stern issued individual punishments i'll I'll list off the number of games they were suspended and the amount of dollar amount of salary they lost because they didn't play those games okay that might put it in better context so for the detroit pistons eldon campbell one game suspension lost forty eight thousand eight hundred eighty eight dollars so forty-eight grand for just one game. Yep. Wow. Yep. I mean, okay. these contracts are in the millions. So. Jeez. Derek Coleman for the Pistons submitted one game, fifty thousand dollars. Chauncey Billups of the Pistons one game, sixty thousand six hundred eleven dollars. Reggie Miller for the Pacers one game, sixty-one thousand one hundred eleven dollars. Anthony Johnson for the Pacers five games, one hundred twenty-two thousand two hundred twenty-two dollars. Ben Wallace for the Pistons, six games, $400,000. Jermaine O'Neal for the Pacers, 25 games, reduced to 15 on appeal. 
four million one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! Stephen Jackson for the Pacers, thirty games, one million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Run our test for the Pacers, the remainder of the season, which ended up being eighty-six games, including the playoffs. Lost four million nine hundred ninety-seven thousand five hundred dollars. Jeez. Yeah. Man, he definitely effed up. He effed up his uh his salary there for sure. Yeah. Jesus. Five Pacers players and five spectators were charged with various crimes. The players all received similar sentences. Probation, community service, and anger management therapy. Makes John, sense. John Green was identified in footage by County Prosecutor David Gors- Gorsica, who happened to have been a previous neighbor. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's... That's terrible luck for him. Yeah, because it really, like, especially 2004, it would have been really hard to identify exactly who was who and who did what. Yeah, because nobody had Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and smartphones, like, they weren't a thing yet. I think the first iPhone was, like, 2005. Right. So, yeah, it's, like, not like everybody had one in their pocket. Right. Because especially nowadays where you just pull out and record and that's it. Exactly. So, uh, Green, a recidivist was actually on probation from a DUI charge the night of the brawl. Wow. So he's already on probation. He'd already had several run-ins with the law at this point. So So wait, he was on probation from that night? He got a DUI from that night? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no he did, he had had a previous DUI, but he was on probation. As of that evening. Okay. In March 2006, Green was found guilty on one count of assault and battery for punching our test. He was sentenced to 30 days in jail and two years probation. More probation. Yep. He was also permanently banned from ever attending NBA games. Oh, dang. Yeah. If you watch on TV, you can never be there again. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The the big sports teams, like, they do not mess around that stuff. Yeah, I believe Like, if that. you ever go out on the field during play, you're never going to be allowed back in. Wow. Ever. So... They they bring the hammer down. They don't they don't mess around with that stuff. Because one person like what does one person you know exactly. one person's ticket sales worth not that much. Yeah. Polling conducted by ESPN after the fight was almost evenly divided, with half blaming the players and half blaming the spectators. Okay. And given the fact that who I picked for our effort upper for this, you can tell who I who I blame. <laughs> the NBA. Now, now this is something that kind of plays in, as with many things in this country, a bit of racism. Mm -hmm. Because the NBA was and is and is predominantly, most of the players are Mm African-American. And they desperately wanted to avoid, and were very careful about not having this perception, they didn't want anybody to think of their players as thugs. Mm Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately has been a stereotype in this country for many, many years. Yeah. Um, really just awful. And this happening did not help. Yeah. Because all the players involved were black. Right. So. So the, they're like, see, your NBA players are hotheads. We told you. Exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah, this, this sport, it's just a sport for thugs and criminals type of thing. Yeah. Is definitely what. You know what? I I can probably almost guarantee you. You go back to the Fox News coverage after that. Yeah. Probably I could I could see Bill O'Reilly saying something like that. Yeah. So, 
Uh, the league overhauled their security procedures and limited alcohol sales at games, cutting off sales at the end of the third quarter, and putting a maximum number of drinks any any one person could purchase at two. Interesting. Which I was thinking about, like, how do you enforce that? Because you're, you, I mean, you sell beer at multiple spots in the stadium. If you pay cash, they don't really have a way to. So the way that, that some places do it is you get tickets or you get like things on your wristband. If um, if they yeah, check your ID, true. then you true. only get two like tear offs on your wristband. I've never been to a sporting event where I had to get a wristband though. Um, at least at least a major league one. When we were at the Packers game, no. Did they check your ID? No. <laughs> Did you have a beer? Yes. In the stadium, not yes. beforehand. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, they were supposed to check my ID, but they did not. <laughs> okay. Um, it it may be like a one of those things they be... put in place where they hope people follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but cutting it off at the end of the third quarter, like that's probably that's probably the more helpful thing. I know Major League Baseball. Well, you know, at least the Reds, they cut off alcohol sales at the end of the seventh inning. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, the team's next meeting in Detroit on March 25th, 2005, was delayed by 90 minutes due to a bomb threat, but no in-game incident occurred. With much of their star core suspended, the Pacers took a tumble during the season and barely made the playoffs. Whoops. They were ousted by the Pistons in the second round. The Pistons would go on to lose in the NBA Finals to the San Antonio Spurs in seven games. So they did not repeat as champions. Uh, Ben Wallace played for the Pistons until 2006. After stints with the Chicago Bulls and Cleveland Cavaliers, he returned to Detroit in 2009 and retired in 2012 and was inducted into Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2021. He's a Hall of Famer. Interesting. Jermaine O'Neal continued with the Pacers until 2008 and bounced around the league for several seasons with different teams before retiring in 2014. Kind of of a disappointing career in terms of expectations prior to this. Uh, Steven Jackson, like O'Neal, became a journeyman with several teams, also retiring in 2014. Ron Artest returned to the Pacers in the season following the brawl, but demanded to be traded after 16 games. This request was granted, and he was shipped off to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, this kind of blindsided a lot of his teammates who felt betrayed, because a lot of them, you know, several of them served long suspensions and lost money because he went up into the stands and fought somebody. Uh, Steven Jackson said, quote, I put my career on the line for him going into the stands and fighting. I lost $3 million, but there was no thank you or nothing, end quote. After the Kings and a stint with the Houston Rockets, Artest joined the Los Angeles Lakers in 2009, winning a championship with them in 2010. Becoming mm-hmm. a very integral key piece of their victory, especially in Game 7. I think he had the... Not the game... It wasn't a game-winning shot, but he had a lead-clinching shot, I guess. He kind of made it so the other team could not... Uh, uh, the Celtics, they could not come back and win. So the Lakers won that championship. Okay. Was the, uh, I have fond memories of that one. That was the last championship Kobe won. Hmm. Our test, after changing his name 
to Meta World Peace before the 2010-2011 season. Played for the New York Knicks and in China before returning to the Lakers in 2015 and retiring in 2017. In the years following the brawl, Green made an effort to clean himself up, entering an alcohol rehab program. Oh, good for him. In 2017, our test revealed that he had apologized to Green and that the two had since become friendly. The Palace at Auburn Hills itself continued as the home of the Detroit Pistons until 2017 when they moved to Little Caesars Arena in downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the Palace was demolished in July of 2020. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, that was the malice at the Palace. There was actually, just a few years later, there was a WNBA game where they ended up getting in a big fight and people just kept calling it the malice at the palace Two, <laughs> electric boogaloo okay so, nobody said the electric boogaloo part yeah awesome so yeah so just the <laughs> weird little blip like like sports brawls they're they can be fun to watch especially baseball like yeah one of my all-time favorite baseball moments was from 1990, I think it was like 93, I think, 1993, game between the Texas Rangers and the Chicago White Sox, uh, where Nolan Ryan threw a pitch and hit Robin Ventura, who was the batter, and Ventura took exception and charged the mound, and Nolan Ryan, like 9,000-year-old Nolan Ryan, like seriously, at this time he was like 45 years old, which is old for any athlete, even a baseball player, <laughs> just grabbed him in a headlock and just started pounding on the top of his head, just punching the top of his head. Yeah. Like, Nolan Ryan, like, 40,000 years old. Robin Turo, he's only, tw- like, literally, Nolan Ryan was old enough to be this man's father, and he is just wailing on him. And they have this big old massive benches-clearing brawl. You get Bo Jackson in there. He's throwing around two or three guys at a time, and... Just that, you know, Nolan Ryan gets put in a headlock. It looks like his head's getting ready to get ripped off at one point. And it's a just just a just a fun fun baseball scrum to watch. You're very excited about this. Yeah, well, I mean, sports brawl they can be fun to watch. It's when the fans get involved is when it turns ugly. Mm-hmm. Because because yeah, two teams just fighting each other. It's like okay, well, they're all significantly richer than I am. I really don't care if they hurt each other. But when, you know, an everyday fan like you or I, well, maybe not you, but an everyday fan like me, you know, gets involved, that's a problem. It it takes it beyond, you know, grossly entertaining to horrifying. So, uh, yeah, this is really what escalated the situation into something infamous. So, uh, I did a tiny amount of research while you were talking about uh, sports brawls and i knew you but, weren't listening to me i i was listening mm-hmm. the nba two drink per fan maximum devolved into two drinks per id per purchase mm. they did not have any sort of a coupon system okay but that that is something that is still held up to this day two pink two drinks per id per purchase yeah. um and all the people have to be present which unfortunately that doesn't really prevent over yeah it's, you know overdoing it on alcohol yeah but no matter what sort of system you put into place you're yeah. going to have the other thing 
They couldn't have the drinks over 24 ounces. People made a huge stink over that because they would sell those yard arms, like the big, the big giant. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, people were pissed because those are not 24 ounces. Those are far above yeah, those 24 are ounces. Like the big gulps. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just think it's funny that people were like, you know, they, they wanted to implement a way for people to slow down. Yeah. Because, I mean, even outside of things like this, you know, there's a, a higher than average instance of drunk driving, DUI, oh, exactly. you know, all that stuff that, that happens that's outside. That's why of they it. cut it off like at the end of the third quarter. They, yeah. they give people enough time to sober up. Yeah, get some hot dogs yeah. in their system, yeah. pretzels or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just thought, I, I just wanted to see how that was going to be implemented. Um, and the spoiler alert, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> they they had to backtrack on that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's just kind of. Well, it was also a, uh, it was a huge, um, there was a huge outcry from the, the vending, the people who vend, mm. who come through the crowds and, and yeah. sell beer. They were like, if only if people can only drink two beers per game, we're out of a job. We're we're not going to be able to yeah, work. That's true. So because they don't work for the teams, they're they're like essentially third party contractors, and they work for tips. Yeah. So, but I just wanted to look at that and see how how that was implemented, if it was implemented, because as far as I know, every time I know people, and and granted, this is like you know, it's not these particular teams, but every time I know people who have gone to like. NBA games, playoff games, mm. they get wasted hammered. I have never actually been to an NBA game, unfortunately. Because um, where we live, either if you go to Cleveland or Indianapolis, it's a three-hour drive. Well, Indy's only two. Yeah, I mean, it's still... Prohibitively far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To where it's like, I... Especially if you go... I mean, most NBA games take place at night. Yeah. It's like, uh, you kind of have to get a hotel. Yeah. So... And you don't really have enough of a vested interest in either of those teams to. Yeah, it's like they would have to. I mean, the only reason I'd go is if like if the Lakers were in town, which I do kind of regret never going to a Lakers game at one of those places. Cause that means I never got to see Kobe Bryant play, um, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah. So I, I, I mean, just speaking from the few NFL games I've been to, they are very like like crowd. I don't want to say this. Crowd adrenaline is very high in mm-hmm. NFL games as well. NBA games, I imagine the same thing, because it's like kind of like confined space indoors, lots of booze, and, and a much more high action game. Yeah. Uh, than say baseball. Right. Baseball is much more relaxed, so it's like you don't really get that too much uh, fan rowdiness. Let's say. Yeah. So. And and baseball, you have to be. You're necessarily far away from. The action in the game. Yeah, NBA, you're like up close, right? You're very, you're, you're like it's very intimate. I guess you could say. Yeah. Is the right Same with football. You're f- you're far away. There's you know there's uh, a buffer zone yes. between the fans and yeah, because like I mean you have gobs of people on the sidelines, right? Where yeah, like uh, NBA NBA games, it's like you know you could fear like front row seat, like right there. Yeah. Like next to you is the players' bench, right? Or the coaches. So it's like yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, sources for this. Uh, there's aren't really any books written on this, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense, but uh, f- mostly articles. Uh, Jonathan Abrams, The Mouse at the Palace from Grantland in 2012. Jamel Hill, The Brawl, Where Lessons Learned from ESPN from 2009. Uh, another just news article from ESPN. Fan Details Strides, 
made since Brawl, some 2009. And there's an excellent documentary on Netflix, part of their Untold series, uh, just called Malice at the Palace. They interview several of the players and people involved. Uh, so go check it out. Very, very good. Awesome. The final podcast to recommend History of Egypt. Nice. Has nothing to do nothing with what we just do. discussed. I mean, I guess Egypt had, ancient Egypt had palaces, and this place took place. Or this took. Yeah, we got it. It took place at a palace. Got it. Yes. That. that. Nailed it. I, I do English good. <laughs> ah, so yeah, so that is 50 F for uppers. Well, not just no, it was greater than fifty. We well, had yeah, some... I think there were a couple, couple uh, double dips. Yeah, like fifty-two in total, if I remember correctly. But well, mine, mine was two. Fifty-three. <laughs> Maybe, not an official. Approximately count. fifty. <laughs> so, uh, so the so the next episode, well, yeah, I do two. So, fifty upper uppers. Uh, so the next episode is going to be similar to our first year tournament. We're going to mm-hmm. have a second year tournament where we throw all the effort uppers since the last tournament into a bracket, and we will determine an effort upper for okay. the second year of this podcast. And then the final episode in four weeks' time will be the final, final, ultimate, supreme episode we will pit our two winners against year, each other. Year one, Emperor year one Maurice. and year two. Yep. Versus untold, thus far, year two. To be determined. Yeah, TBD. We'll pit them against each other to see who is the ultimate mega supreme ultra great. <laughs> I think you. Ever upper. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> And and then maybe we'll discuss, you know, kind of some miscellaneous items. Just, you know, kind of things we learned along the way. Things we found interesting. Nah. One of two, maybe three things you learned from the times you listened. I didn't learn anything. That's not surprising. (laughs) So, yeah, just, you know, kind of wrap things up. Sure. Stay tuned, listeners. Stay tuned. There is more to come. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including Attack of the Final Girls, a horror movie podcast with my lovely co-host, Juliet. Imperfect Men, yet another Rexypod writing all the Founding Fathers from Andrew Adams to George Wythe. The Drunken Pawn, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer. Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris. For all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOP Pod Network. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is We, we F'd Up. up.